Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Illico Elia, Andy Hagen, Alistair Harding, Jamie Holland, Ian Wilkinson and Dan Lane. There's a full list of all our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to support the show via Patreon from as little as $1 per episode. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and everything around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 12, Episode 10, and in this, the final episode of the season, we're answering your questions. From the status of SMS to biometrics and retina scanning. And we're revisiting the $100 phone. Welcome back, chaps. How you doing? Thank I can't you. believe it. Season 12, episode 10. 10 more down. Season 13. Hundreds on the of hours. Hundreds of hours. We're Here almost we a teenager. End of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where did, where did you think we'd make it this far? And it, it also just been our fifth birthday as well. Five years of 361 podcast. I haven't Thanks, wasted uh, my time on anything else for as long, a <laughs> very long time. Okay, now we, we've got a question and answer episode this week. And yes, we asked people to one. We asked people to tweet in it's and email us questions. But before we do, super rapid things of the week, Ian McLeod. Mine is Deliveroo, the food delivery app from restaurants. I'm Which astonished. we have discussed before. We have discussed it before. I'm just astonished that I was in the Wagamama across from work the other day. And they have a table now that I used to sit at is now fully dedicated to packing for Deliveroo. Wow. You and I were in Deliveroo the other week having lunch. In, uh, in Wagamama. Oh, sorry, in, in Deliveroo. In <laughs> Deliveroo, well, basically. We, we, we were in Wagamama the other, the other week having lunch early. It must have been a bang on midday. Mm. And there was about 15 people in the restaurant. Hadn't, lunchtime rush hadn't started. And that's been six Deliveroo drivers in yeah, collecting deliveries. Amazing. I just think it's amazing. It's what the market. The interesting thing is there's now a couple of startups who basically just exist as kitchens and, you know, order fulfilment through delivery or their own service See, or just that, eat. So restaurants with no restaurants. Isn't that wow. brilliant that you can, that delivery is getting to the point of being a platform. For, you know, you want to create a restaurant, well, just create your brand, stick it on Deliveroo, people start ordering from you. Yeah. I wonder how you get people to find out about, well, no, oh, you no just my have... Deliveroo optimization strategy isn't complete. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rafe Blanford. My thing of the week is actually a new iPhone case. Oh, dear God. Which doesn't sound very but interesting. It, it, you know, you're right, Rafe Blanford, it doesn't it, sound very it, interesting. It, it's also available for other brands as well. And but what the, is it? What's it called? It's GUI, and it's G-O-O-E-Y, and basically it enables you to stick your phone to anything that's glass, so that can be a window, TV, monitor. Rafe Blanford always, lists things made of glass. Does it, it actually work? It does, and it'll also work to sort of a non-slip service when you're kind of in a car or on your desk, so it won't slide around. So it's not but sticking, I can do a quick demonstration if I stick the two phones together. Oh, oh. Wow. Rafe Blanford has glued a Lumia 950 to an iPhone just by pressing uh, just by pressing them together. And if I hand this over, you'll actually see that it's not sort of sticky and nasty, but so there we go, amazing materials. So Ewan McLeod is going to put on Instagram a yeah. photo of those two. taking a photo of Blanford. So it, it feels... 
to the hand. It feels smooth, like a, perhaps a worktop counter. It's it's like a vinyl finish, I would so say. So I, I was just impressed by Ooh. the materials because we've actually seen lots of metallic phones. The materials have been a bit boring recently. Yeah. And actually, just as an interesting idea for how you oh, do mate, your... Oh, sorry. It, it only slightly <laughs> sticks. <if laughs> you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sticks the whole thing on yeah. the side. Oh, that's great. Okay, very um, impressive. So, so just, to, I mean, absolutely, it's just a fairly boring plastic case, but actually it was more the, the backing, the fact I could stick it, things actually kind of impressed me. And that's just all magic physics, is yep. it, basically? A special, do, yeah, very good. There we go. So if you have a burning need to stick two phones together... <laughs> Uh, you never know. You never yeah, know. you never know. Uh, my thing of the week, since you ask, I, I, what is your thing of the week? Mind. My thing of the week is a replacement keyboard for iPad. Yes. Now, I've not used these today because they're generally rubbish, but I mm. love this one. It's called the MyScript Stylus. Yeah. And if you, like me, yearn for the days of the Apple Newton or the uh, Palm, oh, those or the the palm Pilot, mm-hmm. it, it, it replaces the keyboard. You were a Palm you were a palm Pilot. Oh, I had loads of Palm Pilots, and yeah. You, I knew that. I, did, I didn't know that, but I could have guessed that. And I bought about five or six Newtons as well. I loved them. I had a you Newton. Newton. I, yeah. I had one. I didn't I, I buy any. I, I went back when I, a few years later when they were like, obviously, I bought a few just for nostalgia value. Loved it. Loved it. Got rid of now. Can't perform my time, really. Oh, sorry, Ray Fafford. You were still in Oxford. And anyways, it replaces the keyboard. It gives you a handwriting yeah, area right. where you can write naturally. It's really, The quality of the recognition is really, really good, but the editing interface is good as well. You can use multi-touch to scroll back through the words you've just written, and you can divide words, replace mm-hmm. letters, replace whole words, because even good handwriting recognition is never going to get it 100% right. So the ability to modify words as quickly as you could write them in the first place is really powerful i inadvertently inadvertently spent 80 quid on an apple pencil and then realized i don't actually have any artistic talent whatsoever or the need to draw anything ever where is it this is fantastic it's in my bag it's right here um so this this is fantastic i've actually used this for note taking i'm almost up to handwriting speed so love it outstanding post rationalization my script stylus and the app is free as well so uh, give it a try. I really, really like it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's dead handy when you know you're going to need to um, share what you've, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps the notes you're taking or yeah. something like that. Okay, on with the questions. Right then. First question I'm going to read out, but okay. we're going to go around the table. So, yeah. so yeah, look yeah, lively. Okay. okay. First question is from Kenny. Does Kenny's name ring a bell? Oh, Kenny was uh, a very lucky individual. Yes. Kenny is lucky Kenny. proper minted right now. Kenny went £1,000 in the in episode five in our Tenji competition. Thank you to Tenji for sponsoring that. And we said to Kenny, hey let us know what you spent the money on and you know what he only bleeding did he's written in and so first of all Kenny says he saved 500 quid he's saving up for a Yota phone 3 mm-hmm. Rafe Blanford's a making call. a face that's a good call but Blanford isn't happy no I, what's that stuff on the back of the Yota phone that's like a static screen e-ink, e-ink. I think that's awesome and the new ones where it's shapes like a phone if I could just I said blow money but if I could just spend some money like a real proper treat like to try something yes. out. That yeah. is the sort of thing I would do. Like if money dropped out of the sky, like, like it did for Kenny, yeah. I, that's what I would do. Yeah. yeah, you could build something like a ha-ha wall that would be much more interesting. <sighs> Rafe, oh. Blake, you don't help yourself. We what's, get, we get a ha-ha wall? Hang on a second. I will come to that, you and McLeod, because this is going to knock your socks off. But we get people emailing in telling us not to take the piss out of you. Okay, Google. You don't have to. You don't have to. You could just Go on, be McLeod, nice. kick in. Okay, Google. What is a ha-ha wall? According to BBC, these walls were constructed so as to be invisible from the house, ensuring a clear view across the estate. Ha-ha walls consist of a sunken stone wall at its top level with the garden, with a deep ditch on the far side, an effective barrier to livestock. 
That's right. So if, like Rose Blanford, you've got a problem with livestock requiring you to have unsightly fences across the estate grounds. I've never come across you, a ha-ha. Oh, yeah. So any, any big actual name is a ha-ha yeah, what? So any stately homes or whatever, you want when you sit in the house, you want mm. your view to stretch out across your land. And you don't want walls, like, blocking it up. You just want to see all smoothly across all your grounds. Right. So rather than building a fence, you dig a ditch and you put the wall in the ditch, effectively. Why do you need a wall there in the first place? Well, let, let's say you don't want you don't cows coming can, up to the house. But you also yeah. want to see the yeah. capability brown design landscape. Exactly, yeah. So the, so the point is that the wall goes down, not up. So when you look across, you don't see the ditches. Right. You just look smoothly across. But the cows walking along, walking along, goes down the ditch, hits the edge of the ditch, the wall. Yeah. It can't go up. Moo. So I don't want to see the cows. No, I don't want to see the wall. Right. Brilliant. I'm glad we had this chat. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thanks for writing. How did we get the ha-ha wall? Yeah, thanks for writing in, Kenny. I hope that's answered your question. <laughs> nice one, Kenny. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. So Kenny also says the other 500 quid after when he's bought his yacht phone is going to be spent on a real racing three in-app purchases in honour of you. Good man, yeah. Kenny. Or, good man. Or possibly some home improvements if his missus gets the way. I, uh, I think I wonder what's going to happen there. Exactly. Okay, so Kenny's actual question is way, way more interesting than any of that nonsense. Uh, he says, you often refer to networks as dumb pipes. We do. We like like that yes analogy and so why do their tariffs vary so much from domestic utilities i'm paraphrasing kenny uh forgive me but it was a, a long and detailed question thank you rife blanford give us the sensible answer first well i think this is just a simple question of pricing strategies from the operators and the point kenny was making why is it there kind money. of a simple tariff is sort of a bit like line rental if you will and then based on usage but it's sort of a bit of an eyes are bigger than your stomach thing here that operators want you to go up to a more expensive tariff and they don't want it to be on kind of a per usage basis or with stuff rolling over because that means less money for them. So this is, I think, in their case, kind of a, a profit maximization strategy. And most people are willing to just go, yes, I think I'll use about that much a month. And actually tend to be quite liberal because they don't want to ever go over that because they know they'll have to pay a lot of extra money. It's the kind of the bill shock thing. I also think it's a difference in terms of our usage of mobile data particularly is changing all the time because our appetite mm. is getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Most people's utility consumption now is pretty static. The yes, home you live predictable in... predictable curve it, over the it's year. A predictable curve over the year. The home you live in doesn't consume more or less power one year to the next year, particularly prices will go up and down slightly. So you can actually go to utility providers and buy unlimited tariffs if you need to, and there are some for, for groups that might benefit from that, like large families or people who really, really, it's important to them, they have single bills. But, you know, your mobile data usage is increasing year on year, and so it's also a different need. But the reason we say operators are dumb pipes right. is not because of that pricing strategy, because that, they are different there. It's more about the service they provide, which on its own is not useful. It's what you do with it. They, they're a supporting cast member, you know, in in our in our internet lives or in our home. You know, you don't buy gas and look at it or enjoy it for gas. You heat it up or you use it for heating a home or for cooking or something like that. So I think it's it's the same but different, and that's yeah, I mean, where any analogy is going to fall apart if you extend it too far. And we shouldn't forget that prepay, in effect, becomes and behaves much more like that. It's a much more tied to usage. Yes, I mean, the, you, when you roam and things like that as well, you know, you, you're more, far more often fall back to usage. And Kenny makes the point that there are some comparisons there where you pay per gigabyte and, yeah. and you consume per units. I've long argued that mobile phones would best be billed by speed because that's the characteristic yeah. that you can, the user can perceive. I'd um, like a slow connection or a fast connection. And in Finland, there are some some, some Samara, operators. for example, yeah. is one of the operators that does that. And, and I think there are, there are some else, elsewhere are. in Europe as well because I can't say I want to download that web page and have any idea 
how much it's going to take to download. Even, let's say, BBC website, even the BBC couldn't tell me how much it's, data is going to take for me to download the BBC right. website. Could be a bit cached, the graphics will change, you know, the stories. So it, it's almost impossible to know. And in general, that's bad form for a consu- asking a consumer to buy a service they don't understand what it's going to cost them. In general, after a while, and except it's not perfect, you know roughly how much it costs to heat your house up in the winter and in the summer just through repetition because those things stay the same. You, McLeod, next question. The next question is from Stephen Quinn. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. He says, are fingerprint scanners the future and retina recognition a slow, unreliable alternative for mobile security? Well, what do you think? Uh, fingerprint versus retina. I mean, it, it depends. The retina is probably one of the best things that all the fraud people like to invoke. It just needs to be really fast and not annoying because uh, I was just imagining having to widen your eye all the time. I think fingerprint is just really quick. I enjoyed um, the face you made when you said widen your ooh. eye. Yeah. I was doing Instagram with that. <laughs> so, yeah, Stephen, I, I, I think fingerprint scanners are, they are going to be the quickie, the yeah. quickie fix. I mean, the reason Stephen, I think, is asking this question is because Microsoft has backed the kind of the retina recognition with uh, Windows Hello on Windows 10 that's on the Lumia 950 and the 950XL and a whole bunch of Microsoft sort of laptops and devices, probably the best known of the Surface ones. Objectively, how good is it though? That's the important point because I think it's slightly longer. I mean, I've used it on a couple of devices and it's definitely two or three seconds and there are a few scenarios where the lighting's bad. It just doesn't work that well. To me, that's actually more about the maturity of the implementation. Apple put a lot of money into perfecting Touch ID and fingerprints sensors have just been around a little bit longer. So I think in time, you know, that calculation might change. But also I think the retina stuff is more set up for static devices or in a laptop or a computer when you're looking at the screen and actually whatever the input mechanism it might be a bit further away on a mobile device, just sticking your fingerprint on the back of something you're holding or on the home button as on the iPhone. As Ewan said, it's simple, it's intuitive, it's quick. But as you said, from a actual biometric point of view, my understanding is that uh, retinas are better. Actually, from a pure security point of view, though, biometrics aren't that great because you can't change them. And actually, one of the principles of kind of the two-factor security, I mean, it's kind of a thing that you have, but you also want the ability to be able to change your password yeah, or unique hacked, identity. Yeah, your iris. Yeah, and, and things like that. So, I mean, d- to me, it's if you can, at the moment, there's no question. Fingerprints are the way ahead. It's kind of a proxy for security. I shouldn't think it shouldn't be the only thing, and that's how a lot of the apps are using them now. And if, but, we, if we just disregard the whether or not retina yeah. is any good, it also suggests to me that fingerprints are a shortcut for a pin code or yeah. for, for a password or something like that, which is fine for kind of security for stuff you do on your phone regularly. But as soon as you get into iris recognition, you're suggesting that you actually might be doing something that's even more sensitive than day-to-day banking, apps, personal data, that kind of stuff. Why? So I'm, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering what things that are vet such high security that they need better than fingerprint security are you going to do on your mobile device? There probably isn't. And there are other things you can do with fingerprints. You know, you can actually look at the... Uh, patterns of arteries and veins or capillaries underneath the fingerprint itself to kind of add a level. But actually it comes back to this problem that you can't change your biometrics, which a lot of security people will have a problem with. Okay, so Richard Yates has asked a follow-up question. Thank you, Richard. He also asked about iris recognition, but I'm going to jump to the second part of his question. Could Microsoft succeed 
at a rival to Apple Pay, uh, I suppose probably thinking about the fingerprint element of, yeah, of Apple Pay, I suppose my take on it would be that Apple Pay is nicely implemented, but it's going to be like an app store and like a photo backup solution and like maps. Sooner or later, we're just going to consider it payment. It's going to be a mandatory part of every ecosystem. Mm. Google will have it, Apple will have it, Microsoft will have to have it. And so it won't necessarily rival Apple Pay because there aren't that many Windows Phone devices out there, but it will be functionally and uh, speed and quality-wise identical. Has to, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Richard does talk about Irish recognition. It does put me in mind of Minority Report, where that kind of Irish recognition was used for advertising, but in also... The Night Manager. We talked a couple of, couple of episodes indeed. ago, we talked about The Night Manager, which is mm. an awesome BBC adaption of John le Carre book, and brilliant. But they used Irish recognition there to do high-value transactions on a mobile device. Oh, I missed yeah. that. Yeah. Transfer the... 40 million pounds. Yeah. But I think to your point, yeah, it just becomes standard. But it is going to be difficult for Microsoft to compete because it doesn't have the same kind of network effect or the scale. But actually, I'm not sure even Apple does in some ways in the markets it's launched. It, you know, it's done a couple of percent, but it hasn't gone anything like as massive as some people might have expected. And I, I wonder whether in the future we might see someone like Visa, MasterCard, or some of the banks coming back and playing in this space, or at least Apple just being a technology provider. And they're getting a relatively big slice of the payment pie at the moment, far beyond what they really deserve, I think, personally. So I think what we'll see is we'll see the technology scaled right back, and we'll actually see those that are providing the payment mechanism and it's really banks, MasterCard, Visa probably soon, getting a bit more of the fees back. As soon as you're talking physical payments in a store, it's easy to compete because you, you only have to give somebody a piece of plastic with a reason to yeah. use that instead of the phone. But yeah. for me, the only place Apple Pay matters and, and the Google alternative and the Microsoft yeah. alternative is in-app payment and on-device oh, payment. And, and, on-device. And th- yeah. that's why Microsoft have to have their own and they won't ever actually compete because each platform owner will be the key to paying on that platform and they can Indeed. be the only ones with the hardware and OS level integration. And again, really, it's just a proxy for having to enter in your card number anyway. We're seeing rumours now that Apple, towards the end of the year, will put Apple Pay in the browser. And to me, that's actually even bigger in some ways than apps because you know it won't have that install requirement. And that kind of, I think, could potentially put up the transaction volume a lot. But you're, you're right. It will be any platform provider. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see if Microsoft does do that and links it into potentially Android and iPhone devices that you use to pay for something on a desktop browser. You know, And quite how that works would be interesting to see You know, that multi-device scenario. Right then, let's move on to the next question. Terence Eden. Hello, Terence. Hi, Terence. She says, is SMS dead? No. Correct. No. Right, let's move on. No, 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 uh, no, no. Terence, yeah, only kidding. well-renowned security researcher. I was talking to him in the week, and he was on the, he was on BBC Radio as a security researcher again. Oh, yeah. so. He was on the podcast a little while ago. He was. Yes. So to go, go and seek out Terence Eden, because he writes awesome blog. I really enjoy reading his stuff. Well, he deserves more of an answer than that. So He does, he does. Okay, my, my right. initial... In a, world of, in a world of push notifications yes. and WhatsApp... Like having huge volumes, why do we say no, SMS isn't dead? Uh, just because it needs to be ubiquitous for messaging. Still, we are not, we're not quite there yet. Organisations need to be able to speak to me and they need to be able to do so via a platform that they can access as well as I. So and sadly, ev- SMS is the one or that email ev- is everyone still- has. Yeah. Okay. And, and I don't think that changes because it's built into the networks that we'll still be using. And I think more generally, actually, the question is, you know, where will the balance be? And we've definitely seen a shift to over-the-top messaging. And WhatsApp, um, 
Mark Zuckerberg at F8 got up and said that Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp combined now had 60 billion messages a day, which was three times what the peak of SMS at 20 billion was. But as uh, Ben suggests, for things like two-factor authentication or just confirmation of your identity, which I actually think we'll see more of in the future, not less, I think it's still going to be that great universal. In, in some ways, it strikes me as a bit like the web on mobile. We see Comscore and loads of other analytics people talking about how the fact that 80% of activity is in apps now and you know, mobile web is going down to 20 pence. Now, there's some questions around how that data is put together, and I'm not sure I entirely buy into all of it. But still, for everyone, universal is web, and SMS is universal in that same way. When's the last time you sent an SMS to a person? Yesterday. Yep, today. Why? Mrs. Smith has a Windows phone. Uh, provided, <gasps> provi- provided, <gasps> what? provided. Oh, the excitement. <laughs> He's generally excited. Uh, provi- provided by her employer, non-negotiable. I needed to reach her in a hurry, so I sent it to her work phone, which I knew would be on her desk at work. She's not got WhatsApp then. She's she, locked down because of the no, Windows phone. No, no, actually, she she does have WhatsApp on but, the office phone. But yeah, yeah. But WhatsApp is for chat. Like she'll she'll check that in the coffee break. SMS is like their home screen. Like yeah. you say, the default. Like right. an SMS is a different urgency. Like for at home, WhatsApp is for for casual stuff. You know. Okay, and so is was is that a regular occurrence for them? For uh, no, no. But you know, when I need to leave her an urgent message and I can't speak to her, like I rung yeah. and you know, I'm not going to bury the message in a voicemail because that's like you know living in the past. Yeah. It's like just I need something to pop up on a. WhatsApp doesn't pop up because there's a rubbish Windows. Well, no, just, she she won't be checking WhatsApp in the office because that's like slacking off. You know, that's the coffee break time. And, oh right. You know, she doesn't need to wait till the coffee break to find thing. out that the baby's sick and needs picked up from nursery or you know the, the house has fallen down or something. Okay. Because I, I thought both of you would say, well, I haven't, because I don't text now, anyone. Having, having said that, she's the, one of the few people I have regular text me- messages backwards and forwards with. Everybody else is on iMessage or WhatsApp. What were you, Blanford, then? Who, who are you texting? It's family members and a few work colleagues. And actually, if it's, it's kind of that more interruptive thing, if you get a text message, you will check that. Whereas WhatsApp, because it's got quite a significant volume going through it, you know, maybe 60 messages plus a day versus two or three text messages. I just will pay more attention to it. My WhatsApp usage changed when we started to have groups of friends in group chats. Yeah. And the group chat, you look at it, you know, oh, 20 notifications. That's going to be a really funny conversation, yeah. or you know, but... Behaves far more like yeah. a chat room yeah. rather than a kind of message. I thread. thought you'd both say, oh, I haven't sent a text message to, you know, someone for ages, but there you go. Okay. You're using it a lot. Yeah. So that's why SMS isn't dead because it's still, we rely on it when things really matter. You think you rely on it when it really matters, but I think you're using it by default still. I'm using it because it's the only one I know is going to get the attention. Yeah. It's oh, interesting. Okay, so next question. This one's from Jim. Uh, harking back to actually an earlier season, what would your current recommendation be for a $100 phone? I love the fact that Jim also has clocked you and McLeod for the cheater he has. So he said... Oh, you, that is enough. So if you remember rightly, the $100 phone challenge we did a few seasons ago where you and did a 200 the $400, $700 phone challenge, just, you know, blow, yeah, blow hold, the budget hold out. Hold on a minute. Get it right. So Jim says you can interpret $100 as £89, which is... I think a bit generous, but when you add taxes, when, ta- when you do taxes. Thank you for the clarity, Jim, because when we started that competition, we didn't have any rules at all. Except by definition. You remember the $100 phone challenge? Oh, you know, I dumb phone. No, no yeah. room for uncertainty. Okay, so, right, so should we answer the question rather than argue about the definition? Fair enough. 
Go on, what would you have for a So I think it's probably something like the Xiaomi Redmi 2. And, you know, we had in that $100 thing, which we kind of admitted that Ben won on bang for buck. By a uh, country hold on, I thought I won it. No, yeah, I, anyway, I and actually, but the problem was kind of buying it from a Chinese brand. Mm. There was maybe a quality question. My Lenovo wonky phone, which is exactly. now <laughs> in, in, inoperable. And I think things have improved right across the spectrum. But one way to kind of get a little bit more surety around that is to go for one of the known Chinese brands. And in this case, it's the Xiaomi device. And the specs on that are kind of, it's a 4.7 inch, 720p screen, 8 megapixel camera. It's a Snapdragon 410 and it's got a gig of RAM. The other option to go for, of course, is the kind of the older flagship device. And I believe the LG G2 is just knocking around the $100 or so mark at the moment. So although I won, I played... Uh, wait a minute. I played a tactical game. you won. I played a tactical game, which is I, I, I played what a device I thought you guys would respect. If we now ask the question, what would I get for $100? Yeah. I would probably go out and get... I'm stretching, maybe stretching the budget a bit, but I would either mm. get perhaps the Lumia 650 or the 540 if I yeah. if I was blowing the budget too much. Because actually, for me, at the very lowest price points, I think the Windows Phone and I sitting in front of Rafe Blanford, who's beaten the air with his fists here. I think it's a more polished experience when you get down to that cost. Yeah. My Android Lenovo A850, it met the requirements. I paid a hundred bucks for it. But it was very buggy, very unreliable, very hard work. And I, even I don't have the time to mess about with a phone that much to make the, it work. There are some great Android devices in the Motorola G2014, is right. But I also think for the sort of person spending that kind of money on a phone, actually the accessibility and ease of use of the Windows devices is actually to be admired. And I know I've got a lot of family members and friends who aren't really into their tech, but have gone on to Windows and actually love it. Yeah. for that reason because they, they're not bothered about the app cap or anything like that they just want something that does all the basics well and I think as you say for $100 it's, it's hard to beat that as we speak I think you can get a Lumia 650 for £99 from O2 which yeah. is £10 over the suggested budget but I wouldn't be surprised if that will be down to the £89 sure mark or probably by the time this airs and certainly if you if you searched really hard for a good a good deal and it's, it's, or, it's or a great, refurbished it's a, great, it's a great design as yeah. well actually for, for that price point it's one of the most impressive in terms of kind of the materials and the makeup you and you McLeod, you'd, you'd have a galaxy oh, s7 just, would you just, uh leaving you guys to chat about nonsense there yeah blah so, blah, blah so what's your answer then i would probably do either an honor or a so the huawei which one a brand I, I don't know which one i haven't ever looked the it's huawei hundred dollar one of the huawei ones okay. uh well either the the honor i really like the honor brand and like so, what they've been doing with their phones, I then think, either or directly a Huawei. I think the Honor brand, which actually is their lower price point, mm. but because it's their lower price point for European models, well, I think the, at the moment the 5X is the cheapest one they offer, which is going to be the cheapest I've seen that for sale is £150 sterling. Right, so then. I think you're back to the Huawei Chinese market varieties or some of the older models. I think, I think there are some get... that undercut that yeah. 5X price point on the Honor brand. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, you and I went to the launch of the device, and it was sort of clocking in about a hundred pounds or so then. So I imagine it's now well below that hundred dollar. Thank you for your help. I think it's the Holly. Oh, okay, yes. uh, However, having used that, it was a pretty irritating device to use. Exactly the problem they came across. Nothing to do with it. Yes, yes. It's loud, obnoxious. What you said to get on with? Enough of that. Move on. Comes with a bright blue T-shirt. Yeah. Okay, friend of the show and your colleague, my colleague. 
Indeed. Uh, our our colleague. Our colleague. Andrew Finley says... Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. How do you enforce geofencing globally in 2016? Mm. Which is like mm. a question that we could do a whole episode on, and we may well do, but let, let's do the, the short one. version. My answer would be... As we record today, there's news reports out that a consumer drone has been hit by an airliner landing at London's Heathrow no, Airport. No, 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 the other way around. An airliner. We don't oh, yeah. care about the consumer drone. <laughs> oh, right, sorry, we care about the 150 people on the plane. That's right. Yeah, I, but somebody's drone. <laughs> it's completely wrecked. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the other way around. And, and okay, We can laugh because no one was hurt. No one was hurt. Everything was fine, and it is just suspected. Oh, the drone, drone was hurt. Drone site. Well, yeah. But the point is that the suggestion is now in the media that Drone manufacturers ought to enforce geofencing in their products as a security measure. Similarly, I've seen cars in the past that would de-restrict their speed limits just based on location. Yes, yeah. We've talked about media rights management in the past. So I guess in a broader sense, can geofencing really be applied globally, Ralph Blanford? I think you can stop casual misuse, but if people want to get around it, they will find a way. And yeah, um, on, on geoblocking, you know, get a VPN and there are actually people will, you know, products specifically designed about being able to watch BBC iPlayer when you're in the States or Hulu or whichever way around it happens to be. If you bake it into the hardware, it certainly gets more difficult. But even then, these things are built with off-the-shelf components. I can't believe it's not going to be difficult to flash in a, another ROM onto it. Do I think it's a good idea? It's probably a great way to actually discourage bad usage for people just not thinking about it carefully. Quite helpful, actually. And, and yeah. clearly, yeah. you know, airports, and there are rules around using them in the centre of London, for example. You're basically banned from doing it without a licence. But there's so many complications to that in terms of if someone is allowed to do it, how do you kind of switch that ability back on and how do you regulate it across different markets so that it becomes a very tricky problem to solve. If, if we just restrict ourselves to talking about geofencing that we use to help ourselves... So I leave it on because I genuinely don't want to break the rules yeah. and I don't want to inadvertently fly somewhere yeah, I shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Where do I get my geofencing data from? I mean, am I going to have a label on Google Maps in the future? You know, I click it on and it's going to show me geofenced areas or I'm going to draw them on the map and then my smartphone or my drone or my car is going to you know, download that data through an API? So I think certainly from for cars, it's going to come from the mapping providers and you know, the HERE consortium that's now owned by a whole bunch of German manufacturers, I can absolutely see that being another characteristic in the data set. For things like drones, I think it's more likely to come through something like OpenStreetMap or a partnership between those and the drone manufacturers. And I can see it becoming one of those important bits of data that becomes key to doing it. And we kind of saw something similar happen with uh, a lot of the big manufacturers building their own location databases based on cell towers. And that was done through a combination of operator and handset manufacturer partnerships. So it's not impossible to see, you know, drone manufacturers partnering with, you know, mapping organisations, maybe even government institutions to kind of have that stuff built in. And I do think as an advisory capacity, it's going to be a useful feature to have and it's you know for autonomous vehicles as well it's kind of an interesting feature to think about you know because actually it's the same thing how do you prevent people driving where they're not supposed to or the you know classic following gps navigations and going off the end of a pier or into a too deep forward you know this is actually you know kind of restricted geospace is something that's absolutely needed when machines are making these decisions because there isn't a human that can go ah yeah that's not a good idea when i was in beijing the uh, company that was doing the the drone for this event they had the drone with them, but they could only use it in the hotel. And the, the event manager was saying, well, why don't you just, just, just put it up and just do it outside and do me a shot of the hotel. And the, the chap said, no, no. And he brought up his laptop 
And so look, this is the... Um, no-fly zone. The, yeah, the no-fly zone. And they actually had a physical map of the city. It was mapped out saying, oh, you can't fly anything in this area at all. Yeah, I mean, having been in Beijing... Legally. ...during, yeah. during the Paralympics, when they were there, you know, working on those, I had cause to have discussions with Chinese policemen on a number of occasions about, you know, what was and wasn't permitted. And they're not a group of people that I would mess with. So, yes, I would follow the rules too. Yeah. Indeed. So, but but to, to provide one general answer to this, if it's going to be really enforced globally, it would have to be the equivalent of trusted storage on a phone device. And there would have to be a software element, but also a secure hardware element. Yeah. And that's the only way you're actually going to make it happen it's, in a way that would be illegally enforceable and not open to being hacked. And even then, it's not it's guaranteed It's always going to get means. bypassed with yeah. a yeah. ROM upgrade or something, isn't it? It strikes me that enforcement is going to be about not making it impossible for the device to go in the wrong place, be it a drone yeah. or a car. It's going to be about having very easy ways to identify the thing and for the yeah. police to spot the drone by detecting them, not by limiting so, it. Excellent question. Next question is from Spencer. Do you think any of the main smartphone manufacturers will say, bother this thing, this, this year's flagship will have a big battery? No. Uh, no. No. This is a question that has been close to my heart for a long time. We have done quite a number of episodes where we talked about the size of batteries and the, the device thinness or um, device size. For a long time, I, I just thought the manufacturers not, were nuts. It used to really annoy the hell out of me. It really did. That you know, the, the device would last for 20 minutes, then you have to go and charge it again. We were buying rubbish phones if they lasted 20 minutes. <laughs> well, it did, it did feel like often, especially with some of the iPhone, the earlier iPhones, I'd be using it. I'd, I would watch the percent figure yeah. you know, drop almost real time. That was very frustrating. But then it was always Rafe that would say, well, look, you know, all of the consumer studies, it says the consumer values the thinness the way the device oh, looks the way and, better yeah and you will have a group that says they prefer bigger capacity battery and a thicker phone but then go and buy the thin one anyway because that's what looks good on the shop shelf yeah what i will say in the last year or so we have seen the capacity of batteries gradually increasing so it's much more common now to see a 3000 or 3000 something that in huawei a phone. one that i got the what are the mate yeah. eight uh, uh, mate eight, eight yes yeah. and it's no four thousand the, uh, yeah. the p9 the htc1 the s7 i mean they're all bigger battery capacities i don't feel and like there hasn't really been a change in battery technology there's not really been a massive increase in the density of the batteries and so more space is being devoted to batteries now than has but, been the case before but i don't get the impression that the devices have got fatter because of no. this so basically what's happened is that the size has sort of stayed still-ish broadly or, or has decreased by a smaller amount and they're just getting better at, at making all the other components smaller that's so right. that yes. phones are just much more battery because everything else has decreased in size. And I think that that's going to be the continuing trend because you, you cannot stand on a stage at a flagship a device launch and go, here's the new iPhone 9. It's, it's a only, centimetre thick. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you, could, you, know, you could chew it. It's so thick. You know, No, it's not going to work at all. Right. And ultimately, consumers fib when they tell researchers yep, what they exactly. want anyway. Okay, Gareth Evans. Here's a good one to uh, think about closing on. If you could only choose one device, what and why? Rafe Blanford. I need to think about this one. Yeah, Are you in McLeod? Okay, right. It's because Blanford's going to say he means his iPhone. All the Microsoft fans are listening and he can't disappoint them. Will it, uh, will it be the 950 or the 950 XL? Why are you adopting that voice? I'm just endeavouring to inject a little humour into okay, my just checking because uh, that's not accurate. They're, they're very nice people, all yes. of his fans. Yeah. They are. Hello, Rafe Blanford's fans. Hashtag Team Blanford. There's not a lot of people. You're really skating on thin ice. Oh, really? Yeah. There are a lot of Blandies. You wouldn't like him when he's crossed. That's what they call themselves, isn't it? Blandies? Yeah. I thought that was when you took a picture of Rafe Blanford. 
Uh, yeah, but they also call themselves Blandies. Oh, yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. They were telling me the other day at that meetup. Um, okay, <laughs> so I'll tell you more about. Is it a meetup or a self-help group? <laughs> anyway, back uh, to the Gareth, question. Gareth, hello, Gareth. Um, if you could choose only one device and why, I think it probably has to be the iPhone. Although I have to say, I was walking along the road on the way to the studio today today uh, with Ben, and he brought out his his iPhone, and I just thought, yeah, that looks really old. <laughs> so I just thought I'd let you know that in your hands at the iPhone not <laughs> Ben by the way it's, it's, no. yeah I, I am knackered the iPhone so actually and disappointingly I broke my other my iPhone so that's not even like beaten up that is a two week old yeah, brand just, new I, I'm sorry I'm just holding the iPhone 6s plus it's a rubbish looking phone now officially right just it's, it's boring got, it's it doesn't tired. inspire me it's very tired really tired really old really boring alright so but yeah. I, I, it's still a default for me okay so iPhone which one of the iPhones it's a 6S Plus. 6S Plus. Okay. Ralph Blanford? Well, the interesting thing is I'm not actually sure I care which device it is. I care far more about what's on it and all Symbian. the stuff on it. Well, you know, it doesn't matter what platform no, it is. because I've, I've got to stop you. Like, you've raved about the camera on Lumia devices. Yes. You've raved about being able to read the Seamless screen in sunlight when you're, when you're off yeah. hunting concrete or whatever it is you do at weekends. So, I mean, there are, there are uh, there, battery there are, life. There, there are, are things, things you care about. There are things I care about, but actually choosing between the top flagships now, actually, they're all really, really good. So the 950 the Lumia device and I, you know, I might well choose that because it's what I'm familiar with but then I see the success and there's lots to like about it, the bigger ecosystem for one and if it's just one device it's tempting to go for an Android or iOS device but then I see a device like the S7 or the P9 that just mm. came out or the HTC One all of those are absolutely fantastic devices for me you know they've got to the point where they're good enough across screen camera, not just good enough, actually they're really, really good. And the differences between those flagships are so small that all the value, you know, the differentiation between them is actually very much dependent on what I've got on them. And it then becomes a very subjective thing about kind of the style. And that kind of depends, you know, what you're wearing, what day of the week it is, you know, what the season is. For all the blandies listening, what is your favourite Nokia phone? My favourite phone... It's like asking me to... I just can't choose one. It's just wrong. But um, probably the, the softest spot I still have is actually for the very first Symbian phone I had, which was the P800. But then in terms of one that's used longest, I've actually been using the Lumia 830 as a primary device now for 18 months, which is a really long time for me to be on one because they haven't released any. Answering this question, if I could just have one, probably realistically it would be, given my job and given what I'm doing, probably would be the iPhone because it's the most versatile. <gasps> oh, no, hold on a minute. It, it took 12 oh. seasons for that to happen. That's not. Rafe Blamford, iPhone shocker. But the honest truth is, um, the actual question was, if you could only choose one mobile device, what would it be? I would choose to carry my uh, Surface iPhone. Pro 3. Because oh, actually, that's just how he's got out of it. That's how he's got out um, of it. Because actually, when it comes to just one device, I don't really need the phone to be mobile with me all the time. I'd rather have that extra productivity. The reality is I carry that, and then I carry multiple mobile phones. The Lumia 830 is actually the one that's nearly always in my pocket because it's, it's got my personal number on and it. Just before we come to, to Ben, can I just explain to the listeners that when we're talking about Blandies, these are the people that have been following Rafe for 
years. And uh, we, we have met quite a few of them at various different conferences. They remember Rafe before he was famous. Well, exactly. Uh, regularly with All About Symbian in particular. So he, he, All About Windows Phone, All About Symbian is uh, his big publications. All About Symbian at its peak had well, well, well over a million users uh, a month. I think it's still in a, in a high... It's, it's near a million, right, at the moment. Mm. It's, 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 he, he has tons of readers. They all know Blanford. I think they feel intimately, and I think we are privileged, and I think there is a degree of frustration think, that we're sitting in the room the, with him. Do, do you remember the conferences we would go to where people would rush up and ask for <laughs> no, fan, fan pictures? And I, I, we would we we be stood there with, like, yeah, mid, anyway, with the camera. Move, I'll, on hold on your, I'll hold your bag, Rafe. Yeah. <laughs> Mo- moving on. Because Rafe would always go. No, I, I, uh, um, and I, I, I would point out these days, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Steve Litchfield, who does all the writing on All About Windows Phone now. And, and a good um, and job so too, actually. I he, enjoy he, it. he does, and actually, yeah, I think it's it stands out because it's a concentration on long form content and interesting, unique editorial rather than. Was, anyway, whilst, enough, whilst, no, I, whilst I agree with what Rafe is saying, <laughs> did you notice how quickly he distracted from it and didn't actually deny any of the allegations? <laughs> okay, okay right, can I'm, we have Ben answer this question before I humiliate myself anymore? Mm, well, I do a podcast. I said it'd be really fun and pleasant. Everyone would be nice to you. Yeah. And, 150 episodes later, you realise that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I'm a bit slow sometimes. So my default reaction was to say iPhone 6S Plus. I've just got rid of my Plus because the size was... Have you? Yeah, the, the size was bugging me and I've just switched what back to... What was that one? It. This is a standard uh, 6S. Every time I pick up my waist, I think, oh, this is a rubbish small phone. So I've gone back to oh the... Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous in your hands. Well, I, I've gone back to the 6S because the large size was irritating me and I wanted just to, to try, try the difference. But the point is I've done that because I've got... The, the new iPad Pro and so because I carry the device around with me if I want to do big screen you know watching video or reading what about stuff taking photos you've got a rubbish camera on that the, the camera is, is good enough rubbish it, it has it doesn't have optical image stabilisation but I'm not generally taking pictures that need that I'm not doing high motion stuff okay. I'm, what would it be 950s for I would have said that because for me that's the one device that does everything kind of well enough but actually I think if you really pushed me and you said all your devices, including all other computing devices. I'm going to follow Rafe Blanford's lead and say the new 9.7-inch iPad Pro for me is exceptional. Never mind the quality of the iOS ecosystem. This is just such a light, well-made, attractive, nice-to-handle device. I didn't expect to care about the colour-matching screen. You know, The, the true tone. The true tone. So you might have to make your face. Yeah. It, it, it senses the colour temperature of the light around you and adjusts the screen to match. So if you're sitting in a room that's lit with an orangey light, it doesn't make the screen look blue by comparison because our eyes adapt for the light around us. So actually, it's the screen that's wrong, if you see what I mean, because yeah. you, your eyes have adapted to the... That we're sitting in a, a room that's got a very oh, orangey hue. I didn't expect to care, just really finding it a very pleasant thing. I'd have that all day, every day. I could do all of my desktop computing replacement for the most part with it. I make very few phone calls. I could do all my WhatsApp and, and over the top Is that messaging. because you can VNC to your Or I could, you know, desktop. VNC to a computer if I needed right. to. Actually, I've been using the Screens app for an iOS app, and actually it's almost better on iOS, on, on the iPad, than it is mm. through, through a desktop. Really love it. So, yeah, I think the thing is, though, that in some respects this is almost like a, a false dichotomy now because... We used to say, oh, what would be the one device? Because they were so expensive and it was so rare to have multiple devices that everybody was always trying to pick the best. And you you wanted to have one to fix everything. Yeah. For me now, the real answer is I'll never have just one device. And actually, it's getting to the point where I will buy 
several different devices for different parts of my life and it's, it's okay you know I'll have a laptop and an iPad and yeah. a big phone and a small phone and a junk yeah. phone for going out in the garden mm. with and a phone that I let the little boy run around with and, and chew on when we're out all out as a family and that is a reflection that we're five years on from when we started the podcast and actually the idea of multiple device ownership isn't quite such an outrageous thing anymore the prices have stayed fairly constant don't get me wrong they're still really expensive but there are a lot more choices at the low end of the market and if you want to add in a tablet also the tablets the life cycle of those seems to have seemed increased certainly the market seems to suggest that and there's now this idea there's lots of other devices around you know the wearables the smart watches the smart home and so i think rather than that idea of convergence which was kind of the watchword for the first five years of smartphones we're actually now seeing almost the opposite thing happen and convergence is still happening but it's happening in the multi-device landscape and so we each have a personal area network whatever you want to call it of devices that you carry around with you no that's probably not the right one but there is that multiplicity now i don't want to be glib about owning lots of devices because i know that's expensive but i think it's about making better choices so i think me and my wife will probably choose to have a tablet each rather than a television in the bedroom or like a second tv in in a recreational room in the house because we're going to start spending Whatever that budget, whatever your household budget is for consumer electronics and those sorts of things, we're going to start to reapportion that. And way more of that spend is now going into portable devices like iPads, like Sonos gear, like yeah. like laptops and things. And we use them more as multi-purpose than, you know, sort of fixed special devices. I certainly... Um, much as I would love to, I'm never going to go out and buy a specialist cinema gear. I'm never going to go out and buy a fancy hi-fi anymore because I much prefer to have something that integrates with yeah. my mobile you know, uh, the tools that I've got. I mean, I do think that spend has gone up, but at the same time, what you're able to do with it, the experiences you can get through it are, are massively more varied and complex. And so it's a really interesting question because actually, you know, it helps us address this. So I think, yeah, thank you for everyone for such a great series of questions. You, McLeod? Right, so I've got uh, just a question for both of you. Oh, hang on. Go on. Yeah, we off, off script. Are you ready? Done. Off script. What? Yeah. Oh, you thought of a question. Yeah. You haven't oh, emailed okay. it in. No, well, I've tweeted it to you. Okay. Liar. And the, the question is, what's been your favourite moment in the last 12 seasons? Most memorable mm. moment. I thought I'd ask them, I'd surprise them, listeners, because I thought if I if I briefed them ahead of time, they'd have they'd come up with something that wasn't quite accurate. So there you go, the, the clock is ticking. What's... I, 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 love, I love doing uh, 361 Live. So we haven't done it for a couple of seasons now, but yeah. it takes a lot of organising. But I okay. love, uh, so I remember sitting up on that stage and listening to Mark from Nokia when it was still a thing, yeah. just absolutely let rip about the injustice i think as he perceived it of some of the comparisons that microsoft was being put through and some of the slightly sort of disingenuous kind of statements around you know the way people were evaluating windows phone at the time and to be honest i think he was wrong and he was on the wrong side of that argument and i'm I'm sad that nokia hasn't succeeded but i love the fact that he was a man under a company badge speaking really honestly really passionately and he knew what he was talking about he wasn't a spokesman said he was mark who really really wants this to be a success and you know i mean lots of the nokia guys were like that all credit to them but you know just thinking this is actually a bit of you know, experience and a bit of, of opinion that no other podcast is going to have. Yeah. You know, we're so lucky to have yes. somebody who's willing to share that with us. And I, I love being in the room watching, you know, about 150 people watch that at the time. Yeah. 
Blanford? It's so difficult to pick out one thing. And the, mug. The, you know, yeah, 361 <laughs> Live, the mug and the whole Blanford estate. And as much as I may, uh, it may irritate me intensely, I do find it very amusing. And I have lots of friends, family who You've have... you got lots uh, of blandies have, as well. Don't forget the blandies. I've really, really enjoyed it. But I'd actually say it's the difference is made by actually the way the audience has joined in and made that part of the... 361 story and so all the feedback we get and the conversations we get to have on Twitter uh, but if I may get slightly maudlin for a minute my favourite time is every time Ben and Ewan walk into the studio and we get to sit down Aww. and have another chat about mobile because no, it may not, not, may not, not always come across on the uh, podcast and it may seem one-sided at times but I can say this uh, the slightly barbed comments are only said with love and affection and it's a real pleasure to record it with two such great gentlemen Oh, sorry, this is where we say, yeah, you too, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of you. Very yeah. kind of you, Blanford. Right, no, okay. right back at you. Checks in the post. Uh, Mike, can I give you mine? Yeah, go on. Then. No, I'm not. Uh, yeah, go on. Actually, it's the way that, uh, that you two tend to twist things. Uh, so <laughs> even when I've... So what, you, like in-app purchases? Well, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not entirely not to blame. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I try and put it in... Double negatives as much as possible. Someone yesterday said to me, yeah, yeah, like when uh, I thought it was really funny when you refused to take public transport. Do you remember what I'm talking about? That was in Barcelona, was yeah, it? Like with years ago. Congress. It's one of my favourite episodes. That three years yeah. ago. I know, I know. Someone was, yes, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, because you looked like a real fool. All like, oh, right, thanks. Yeah, because you wouldn't take public transport. And they went, I said, what? Yeah, it's just a, it's a preference. I just want to take a taxi. Um, so, but yeah, on a very regular basis, people still bring that, that episode up and throw it at me and make me sound, perhaps that was semi justified, that, that, that view. I really enjoyed going on a holiday with you. 361 tour. I have to say, one of my, my favourite things is when we have an episode and you, I think you must know it winds people up, but you say something like, I want a phone that no one else can have because I am better than everyone else. And I know, I've seen you in, in real life be more self-aware than that. Like you, and, and, and I think, oh, I wonder if we'll get any feedback about that. And then the next day after it's published, I open my email and it's just people writing in all red capitals, he must die! And, and it, you, you know, I just, I, I don't know how you have that talent for pressing that button, but if you've ever written it, to tell you McLeod to go and take a long run off a short pier, then thank you because you've amused me greatly, and I have a special file clipped of those. Uh, well, because people want—I I think if you're listening to me, you want—you either want to violently agree with me or, or violently violent. punch you in the face. <laughs> the, uh, that the idea uh, is is to help help you inform a view quickly rather than. Yeah. And, I, and I will say there is another world in which Ben is uh, a one-line stand-up comedian. No, yes. there's definitely not. Yeah, exactly. It's never going to get paid for this nonsense. Anyways, we should wrap up there. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Sorry we haven't been able to, to do all the questions. Uh, we always appreciate all your, your feedback. Thank you to everyone who's written comments in by email, left them on the posts. Uh, just every so often somebody emails and says, thank you, we enjoyed the podcast. And I have to say That's that, that nice. makes yeah. my day, absolutely, yeah. because this is a huge a investment. A lot of work goes into this. A huge investment of time and energy, not just by us, 
actually by the people who sponsor and support us as well. You know, a lot of people are contributing to make this happen. It's great fun to do, but it's even, even nicer when we know that some people have enjoyed it along the way because, to be honest, I'd do this if no one was listening. Yep, okay, thank you very much to marketaudiowrangler.co.uk for editing this. Thank you for all the people at Dichester LBI for their support, for the access to the recording studio and for loaning us Rafe Blanford. <laughs> you can find us at 361podcast on Twitter. We're on our Instagram now and we're posting pictures of behind the scenes, the recordings, Rafe Blanford in various states of happiness and distress, Rafe Blanford holding things, Rafe Blanford pointing at things. Basically, if you, if you like pictures of Rafe Blanford, the 361 podcast on Instagram. The Blandies love it. The Blandies love it. You can find us 361podcast.com where you can leave us a message, contact us by email and find out the details of ways to leave us a voicemail. You can also find us on Facebook, but don't encourage them. We'll be taking a short break at the end of season 12. We've got I'm not short, I'm not too short. We're going to, we're not too short. We're going to be planning season 13 with the Patreon uh, support money that we mm. have stashed away and some of the sponsorship money and so on and so forth. We're trying to plan a more ambitious season 13. We'll be doing a, try to do some events and a few, a bit more content production. And we will be also sort of talking to you about what you'd like to see in the show and asking your opinions. So more if you've got Blanford any, merchandise. More Blanford merchandise. More Blanford merchandise, possibly. Thank you to everyone who supported us. Thank you for your comments. And we will be back very, very soon with season 13. See you soon. Bye-bye.